This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. The Senate will come to order. The Senate will come to order. And with that, the 2020 session of the Florida legislature is off and running. Today on Sunrise, we'll hit the highlights of the governor's annual State of the State message, the response from Democratic leaders in the House and Senate, and the agendas laid out by the House Speaker and the Senate President. Spoiler alert, House Speaker Jose Oliva has declared war on the health care industry. We'll also check out your daily calendar of events and the latest on Florida Man during our special State of the State podcast. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, January 15th. Governor Ron DeSantis delivers his State of the State message on the opening day of the legislative session, checking off all the major boxes on his political bingo card. He started with the obligatory promise of no new taxes. Florida must remain steadfast in its commitment to low taxes and fiscal responsibility. We live in an increasingly mobile and interconnected time. States cannot tax, regulate, and spend with impunity without significant negative consequences. Taxpayers flee. Businesses relocate. The economic base narrows and the state inevitably hemorrhages money, rinse, and repeat. People are voting with their feet and they are leaving states with bad economic climates for the greener economic pastures of the Sunshine State. And we have the good fortune to be attracting investment and business activity and have good potential for further growth in areas such as aerospace, financial services, healthcare, and manufacturing. To realize this potential, Florida needs to tax lightly, spend wisely, and regulate reasonably. Next on the governor's agenda was the environment. Florida is in the process of realizing a vision with respect to our environment and natural resources that's been widely desired but stubbornly elusive. We have strong momentum and we need to keep it going. And I think we can keep it going by addressing three major areas. First, we should fund water resource projects at the $625 million level on a recurring basis for the next three years. This will provide needed certainty for these key initiatives and will help us leverage even more federal support. Second, the legislature should pass the comprehensive water quality legislation uh, that I've proposed. The bill represents the initial recommendations of our Blue-Green Algae Task Force that I launched upon taking office. It's based on sound science and provides a roadmap to reducing nutrients in our water. Third, those that spew untreated wastewater into Florida's water bodies need to be deterred from doing so by appropriate penalties. Too many municipalities have failed to invest in needed upgrades to their water infrastructure in part because it's cheaper to violate the law and pay a nominal fine. This is unacceptable and it needs to change. The bottom line is we have a chance to take bold action to make a lasting positive impact upon Florida's environment. Let's seize this opportunity. The governor also plugged his plan to raise the starting salary of Florida teachers to $47,500 per year. Now our approach to K through 12 education rests on three main components. Number one, recruiting and retaining great teachers in the classroom. Two, promoting educational choice so parents, particularly our low-income parents, can place their child in a good school. And three, measuring results through accountability. Now I'm recommending that we take the bold step of setting a minimum salary for public school teachers at $47,500. That will bring Florida 
from the bottom half of states to number two in the nation. This will make it easier for us to get talented college graduates to enter the profession and will help us retain many of the good teachers we have now. Now, my plan will lead to a substantial pay increase for over 100,000 current teachers throughout the state. Governor DeSantis went on to ask lawmakers to pass a bill requiring employers to use the federal e-verify system to screen all new hires, to pass a bill requiring parental consent for minors who want an abortion, and bring more transparency to health care. But Senate Democratic leader Audrey Gibson is still waiting on the governor to make good on the promises he made during last year's State of the State speech. The promises the governor DeSantis made during his last State of the State remain promises. Toxic algae still threatens our wildlife and our tourism industry. Dedicated state workers continue to be underpaid working in hostile work environments. And the state Supreme Court is dangerously tilting towards justice that is no longer blindfolded. If the governor is going to proclaim this the year of the teacher, then all teachers should find increased compensation in their base pay. A similar commitment should be made to all support staff who play a critical role in educating our children. If the governor is going to clean up the environment, it's simple, start cleaning it. Attack the pollution at its source, reinstate the teeth in regulations, and punish the repeat bad actors. If the governor pledged to bring down prescription drug prices, then let's see it at the pharmacy. As I speak to you today, drug prices are not lower. In his response to the governor's message, House Democratic leader Keone McGee said 20 years of Republican leadership in Tallahassee has been a disaster for working men and women who struggle to make ends meet, while lawmakers bend over backwards for corporations and the donor class. For the past 20 years, not nearly enough has changed. The fact is, our state isn't working for you. And I agree with you, we must do better. Since 2000, our budget has nearly doubled from 50 to over $90 billion. And you're correctly wondering, where has all of this money gone when there still exists struggling schools, low wages, a threatened environment, and no pathway upwards? You were promised lower taxes, but your lower taxes were given to big corporations while you were saddled with their higher tax responsibilities. You were promised the version of Florida's American dream, but you were given a nightmare due to our affordable housing crisis after our officials raided $1.5 billion from the housing trust. You were promised a clean environment, but there has been a systematic and intentional underfunding of environmental protections. You were promised safer communities, but criminals and gun violence are plaguing our communities instead. And once again, you were promised a high-quality educational system for our children. But Florida has fallen to 46th in the nation in teacher pay. A state as great as ours should not be this far behind. Our solution must be simple. We must adequately pay our teachers, protect our communities, address climate change, tackle the affordable housing crises, and deliver lower taxes to our mom-and-pop operations. Let's take bold action and bring our state back into the sunshine. For too long, our system has placed you in the shadow of debt, depression, deficiencies, and distress. 
I know you, and I know you want better. The opening day of the session also gives the presiding officers of the House and Senate a chance to lay out their agendas for the next 60 days. Senate President Bill Galvano emphasized civility and bipartisan cooperation in his chamber. I cannot be more proud of how we have conducted business in the Florida Senate and the productivity that it has yielded. It gives me great confidence that this session will be productive, effective, and worthy of the people of Florida. As we go into session, let us continue to show our constituents that we can exchange and debate ideas while maintaining civility and decorum, that we can problem solve together, that we can put aside personalities and politics for good policy, and that we are not a microcosm of Washington, D.C. The Senate seated before me today will always be unique in history. You all are the first Senate of a new decade. We have this session the opportunity to set the bar for the 2020s. For my part, I will do everything I can, everything I can, to make sure that I provide an opportunity for each of you to carry the dreams, goals, and objectives of your constituencies to this process with respect, fairness, and candor. Let us build this new decade, starting this session day by day, with focus, commitment, and hard work. Let's make every moment that we are in this session matter. In the words of St. Mother Teresa, yesterday is gone, and tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today. Let us begin. But House Speaker Jose Oliva was throwing heaters on opening day. His targets were the healthcare industry and higher education. We did not choose healthcare as our priority. It chose us. It chose us through the sheer audacity of the defenders of the status quo. I'll, I'm not given to hyperbole, and I use these words with precision. The healthcare industrial complex, made up of hospitals, medical device manufacturers, and pharmaceutical companies, are the great robber barons of our time. The term robber baron is defined by government manipulation, monopolizing of an industry, and price gouging. Check, check, and check. The caregivers who work in these institutions are good and dedicated people, and we're fortunate to have them. But the collective actions of the institutions that employ them are unconscionable. These institutions interact with our citizens at their most powerless and exposed moments, and they financially assault them. If during a hurricane, a supermarket, or a hardware store, or a gas station raised its prices even slightly, there would be mass outrage, and rightfully so. But if, God forbid, on your way home today, something terrible befalls you and you are involved in an accident, you will be in the hands of very good people that will work hard to save your lives. And the institutions they work for will gouge you for every good and service that is provided to you. Simple things like bags of IVs, needles, and gauzes will be charged to you at sometimes hundreds their original cost. And should you pay, and should you fail to pay, you will find yourself among the millions of Americans who have made bank bankruptcy as a result of exorbitant 
medical bills. This is unquestionably the greatest threat to our solvency. And what do they propose as a solution? More funds, of course. More money leads to higher prices, which leads to more money, and so on. What is truly amazing to me is that their appetite is so insatiable that they would risk their own existence in the pursuit of more. The drumbeats of socialized medicine grow louder each day, but so attracted is this industry to their gravy train that they, they fall deaf to its warning. Politically, they now seem to have the advantage. Our citizens demand from us reforms which we propose and the healthcare complex opposes. What we are left with is only spending as proof of our concern. Well, spending is not caring. Solving is caring. If spending was the answer, we would have already solved the problem as we turn over nearly half of our entire budget to them. This industry gets federal dollars, state dollars, local dollars, and we also extend them any manner of local tax breaks. And it is not enough. It will never be enough. We must do as we did last year and have the courage to empower the patient and loosen the regulations which have allowed their empire building. Or it will never be enough until there's nothing more to give. Another area where proliferation spending threaten its own sustainability is our higher education system. We all proudly boast of having the best public university system. But as Tom Sowell often likes to ask, compared to what? Compared to a system that would be sustainable and that would not put our children in debt at the very beginning of our lives, I don't think that that's what we compare it to, because there doesn't seem to be a system that offers that across the country. Our shared desire to see everyone reach the highest level of education they can achieve has allowed for excesses and created a student debt crisis. Colleges seek to be universities when they would far better serve us in their original roles as colleges. Universities seek extravagances in the ways of buildings and sports programs which adversely affect their cost, and private colleges seek all takers. As lawmakers and custodians of the public purse, we are relentlessly urged for more. An expenditure for a university is seen as a measure of caring, regardless of the future implications of that expenditure. Spending is not caring. Solving is caring. Our focus must be ensuring these institutions will have the sustainability to exist in perpetuity. Public universities and colleges need to be leading the way in finding efficient and sustainable higher education. Governor DeSantis may have come up with the best analogy for the speaker's comments. He says Oliva pitched a fastball at the healthcare industry, and he wasn't trying to simply brush them back. He was aiming for the head. One other note from opening day of the session, it began with a tribute to the victims of the terrorist attack at Naval Air Station Pensacola, where a Saudi Arabian pilot trainee killed three sailors and injured eight people before being gunned down. Command Chaplain Brian Crittenden from NAS Pensacola delivered the opening prayer in the state Senate. We pray remembering the heroes and the sacrifices from the tragic events of December 6th in Pensacola, especially of the three who paid the ultimate sacrifice. We lift up our prayers of thanksgiving for the first responders from the base, the county, the state, and the city who stopped the tragedy and saved innumerable lives. We pray honor on their heroism this morning, and we pray your continued strength for our military, our first responders, and their loved ones as they continue to protect our communities and our nation. And we especially pray for those in harm's way at this very moment. 
and for those who wait for them at home. Relatives of the victims and some of the survivors were in the Senate gallery for the memorial. It came one day after the U.S. Attorney General finally admitted what we've known all along. The attack in Pensacola was an act of terrorism. Now that the speeches are done, the work of the session begins. The Senate Judiciary Committee meets at 10.15 to take up Senator Kelly Stargell's bill requiring parental consent before minors can obtain an abortion. During his State of the State message, Governor DeSantis said he'll sign that bill if it reaches his desk. Now building a culture of life requires us to champion adoption, and Florida is doing much better in this regard. We're working hard to make the adoption process as transparent and user-friendly as possible, so that every child can find a loving home. And I also hope that the legislature will send me this session the parental consent bill that was debated last year, passed by the House, but not passed by the Senate. That parental consent bill is part of an effort to overturn the landmark TW decision by the Florida Supreme Court in 1989 that said abortion rights are protected by the Privacy Amendment in the state constitution. Today's court is far more conservative than it was 30 years ago, and abortion opponents hope to use the parental consent bill to reverse the TW decision. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. The Florida Hospital Association is inviting healthcare leaders from around the state for Hospital Day in the Legislature in Tallahassee on February 3rd and 4th. The summit will include a briefing in the chamber of the Florida House of Representatives, as well as provide meeting opportunities with key legislators. Members may register online at the Florida Hospital Association site at FHA.org. Again, please register at FHA.org. Your calendar of events starts with the Senate Military and Veterans Affairs and Space Committee holding a confirmation hearing at 8.30 for Florida National Guard Adjutant General James Efert. The Senate Rules Committee meets at 8.30 to consider a bill by Senator Rob Bradley to preempt local regulation of over-the-counter drugs and cosmetics. This bill stems from a decision by Key West to ban types of sunscreens containing chemicals that could damage coral reefs. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee meets at 10.30 to take up a bill by Senator Janet Cruz that limits patients' out-of-pocket costs for insulin prescriptions. The Senate Children, Families, and Elder Affairs Committee meets at 10.30 to debate Senator Aaron Bean's bill changing the iBudget program that provides services to thousands of people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. The Senate Agriculture, Environment, and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 1.30 to conduct confirmation hearings for the executive directors of the state's five water management districts. The Senate Health and Human Services Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 4 to hold a confirmation hearing for the Florida Surgeon General Scott Rivkes, who also doubles as Secretary of the Department of Health. And Florida Tax Watch will hold its annual State of the Taxpayer Dinner starting at 6 in the Hotel Duval. Speakers include Attorney General Ashley Moody and Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas. And it's time once again for our tribute to Florida Man. Two of them, as a matter of fact, who blew up at the golf course and the automatic teller machine. Deputies in Hillsborough County are looking for the Florida man who blew up an ATM at a region's bank in Valrico and made off with an undisclosed amount of cash. He may be a serial bomber. Investigators say there were two similar ATM explosions and ripoffs. They also investigated a fourth incident where someone tampered with an ATM, but it didn't actually explode. And a Florida man is jailed for beating up an elderly Florida man after stealing his balls at a golf club in Ocala. Deputies say 22-year-old Tyler Dearden was taking golf balls from another man's bucket. The guy reported him, and when he returned, Dearden said he wanted to apologize. But deputies say that apology turned out to be a punch that knocked him to the ground, resulting in a broken rib, cuts that required stitches, and bruises. Dearden is charged with aggravated battery on a person 65 years or older. 
That's it for the State of the State episode of our Sunrise Podcast. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.